great. We're looking at the book of Acts. We've been going through uh, the book of Acts for several, uh, several Sundays now. And we're in Acts chapter 24. And boy, the narrative is getting more uh, challenging for the Apostle Paul and for the work that God's called him to do. A lot of things just didn't pan out the way he thought they were going to pan out. He didn't think that 12 days after he would have come back with seven converts from the Gentile lands of Macedonia and Greece and, and, uh, and Corinth and all those places of Asia, he didn't think he would be in jail again. He didn't think he would be in court 12 days after he showed up with a large sum of money from each of those folks in the testimony and, and being six and a half days, almost seven days in the temple worshiping with his brothers that were Jewish brothers coming for Pentecost. He didn't know he'd be arrested and go through all the shenanigans and the kangaroo court that he was going through. But that's where he is. He has now been taken by 470 uh, soldiers from Jerusalem in the middle of the night, 9 o'clock at night. He'd be marched 35, 40 miles on horseback, surrounded by men on foot, 400 people on foot and 70 of the cavalry members, and he would be very well protected as he left Jerusalem and goes to Antipas and then, uh, 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 then on to Caesarea, the place where he was going to answer and would spend the next two years of his life. In, a, in somewhat of a palace jail. It would be a much easier time. He would be able to receive gifts. He would be able to eat kind of food that would probably be comfortable for him. He would have time to write, potentially, if he was the author, the book of Hebrews. He would be ministered to by Dr. Luke during those two-year period of times. And we think that oftentimes, during that two-year period of time, though it was a pause for him from getting out and giving the gospel, he would be preaching to kings and queens. He would be giving the gospel. He would take advantage of the gospel opportunities, even though they were small in nature compared to having freedom to go wherever he wanted to go. We also probably believe that Luke, while ministering to him, took several trips down into over to Galilee and maybe back in Jerusalem as he studied and in, interviewed people to write the book of Luke and probably wrote much of the book of Acts while in that two-year period of time. But I'm so glad that God oversees the affairs of men. I'm glad that I can trust him. I don't always understand him. I don't always understand why he's doing what he's doing, when he's doing it. But I'm so glad I can trust him. And troubles come, troubles go. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the book of Acts, we see that chapter 1, Jesus goes back to heaven. Chapter 2, his spirit comes down from heaven and fills the believers. There was 120 of them in those early stages. They all got filled with the Holy Spirit of God. They went out and told folks about Christ. And who they told about Christ, they kept telling the gospel. They kept the pedal and the metal, getting people the gospel of Christ. And so should you, and so should I. If there's anything that any church ought to do anywhere in the world is be sure they get the gospel in their area and around the world simultaneously. And the churches did that. God did a great thing, and they endured such persecution, and, and it was not very long before Peter and John were arrested, and there was, they were beaten, and, and uh, there was all kinds of problems. God purified the church in chapter 5. Chapter 6, trouble came, and they, they decided to get some help from the believers. They, they got the first seven deacons, if you will, to help the, uh, the apostles in that way. In uh, chapter 7, one of those deacons, Stephen, was stoned. In chapter 8... 
Philip moves to Samaria, and there a revival takes place among the Samaritans, and God calls him from that revival to win one African man to the Lord, going back to Ethiopia. He gets saved. He gets baptized in chapter 8. Chapter 9, the adversary of the early church, Saul, he is saved on the road to Damascus. And, of course, things change drastically. He will be set aside in a school of training with the Lord in Arabia with Jesus. He'll go back to Damascus, his hometown. He'll go for a little while, stay a little while in Damascus, and then goes to Tarshish, his hometown, but probably is set aside from ministry for about seven or ten years. He kind of falls off the pages of our Bible, and Peter picks up, and God is teaching Peter some things. In chapter 10, Cornelius, a Gentile man, is needing to be saved, and God sends a Jewish man, Peter, to go see him get saved. And he has to come back and explain to his Jewish brethren that he had eaten with Gentiles. And not only that, he found brothers in Gentiles. A whole bunch of people got saved. And then, of course, in chapter number, uh, number 12, persecution comes, and that's when uh, Pastor James... Uh, James and John, he was beheaded by Herod, killed him. And then they went to look for Peter. And Peter was put in jail and then broke out of jail by a supernatural way. And, and, but Peter couldn't stay in Jerusalem. Looks like he went to other places to minister away from Jerusalem. And James, the brother of Jesus, takes over the church in Jerusalem as the main pastor. And God begins to use him to steer the church. And now he pulls Paul from Tarshish, to Antioch with his good friend Barnabas. And, and they began to work and do missions work sent out of the church of Antioch after being there for several years. Now that church sends out the first two missionaries on purpose. And they began to go on their first missionary journey. I think I have a picture of that real quickly if I can show it to you. The first missionary journey starts out in Antioch. That's where it looks like to me God moved the headquarters of sending the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem was supposed to do it. I think they failed. And God says, if you don't want to move, I'll move with the movers. And he moved them up to Antioch, just a couple hundred miles north of Jerusalem. And they went from there to Cilicia and then went down to Salmas. And that is where Barnabas was from initially and went through that island of Paphos and then came, went over to these places. It wasn't a huge missionary journey, but you'll see all through Asia, back and forth, they did come into some problems some challenges. Only 1,400 miles in, 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 in uh, all, and then they make their way back to Antioch. They report to the brethren all the things that are done. They will go down into Jerusalem, too, and they will give that report. In, in Acts chapter 15, we see that um, Jane, they had a problem where the Gentile people were getting saved. They reported to the Jewish uh, fathers there in the church of Jerusalem, and uh, the people said, well, okay, that's fine. If God wants them to be saved, but they've got to keep the Jewish law. They've got to keep the Torah. They've got to do all the sacrifices. And, of course, Paul and Barnabas, they, they spoke up and said, that's, that's not right. And let's look at this again. And they came to a solution. And basically they said that if a Gentile person got saved, they need to be careful not to offend um, God by drinking things that are, that are eating things that have been strangled or drinking blood because the blood is very sensitive to God. The life of the body is in the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And he says, so don't ever drink blood. Tell them, don't offend God by drinking blood. Number two, he says, don't offend others by eating meat that's been offered to idols. They're just dumb idols, but people get serious about their religion with that, and it can be a hurt 
to people who are coming out of pagan worship to Christianity. So don't eat meat that's been offered to idols. Don't offend your brothers and sisters. And then number three, don't offend yourself by practicing fornication, by being a pervert. Don't do that. Be faithful to your marriage vows and stay faithful to that. Marriage is honorable in all. The bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. He said, don't live a perverted life. You'll offend yourself if you do that. And basically, that was the only rules he gave the Gentile people. But then he goes on his second missionary journey. He can't take Barnabas, so he takes Silas, and we'll look at that real quickly. And this one is the longest of the three, 2,800 miles, and it starts off in Jerusalem where the Jerusalem Council, they go to, to Antioch, make their way across Asia. They want to go farther into Asia, but God says, no, not to, He said, well, how about Bithynia? No, let's go into Macedonia. He goes to Troas, and that's where God gives him a call from a man to come over and help us in Macedonia. He goes to those cities and then begins his ministry work. It's amazing how passionate, how purposeful, how, how sacrificial Apostle Paul was. And he went there, and of course, many wonderful churches were started, and that was the third, second missionary journey. And the third one, as we'll see real quickly, the third missionary journey starts back at the home place, goes to Tarshish, where he's originally from, into Asia, spends some time in Asia, quite a bit of time there, goes into Troas, back into those, those places, and confirming the people that got saved. He keeps on discipling the converts that come to know Christ. And then from the disciple group, he begins to find others who are going to be pastors and help their pastors. And then now he makes his way back with seven of the Gentile believers, and they make their way through all the way back into Jerusalem. And that's where they're going to have all the things that are taking place there into Jerusalem. And now he comes there. Twelve days ago, he arrives whenever we pick up our story in Acts chapter 24. Let's look at it if we can, please. He has been arrested and taken by night. He shows up, and the king in charge of him, his name is Felix. Now, Felix, for lack of a better word, is an idiot, okay? Uh, he is a, he's a knucklehead. He was formerly a slave, and his brother, Paulus, gave him an inroad to become an authority. He will get removed by the Roman, the Roman government, and I'll put another guy in his place called Festus. He's very weak. He's very corrupt. He's known to be cruel, corrupt, and, uh, and really thick, self-centered at best. He has a wife named Drusilla. She, is, um, she was taken from another man uh, by him and made his third wife. And uh, she's a Jewish, though. We believe that she was probably her dad was Herod, who took the life of, of James. And her great-grandfather uh, would, uh, would kill John the Baptist. And her great-great-grandfather was the one who killed all the children who were, um, who were in, in Judea or in that region, Bethlehem region, whenever Jesus was born. So she comes from a lineage of people, though she is Jewish, uh, she is, uh, she's kind of messed up, and he's messed up. But now he's in this court, and five days have gone by that he's in Caesarea. Now, Caesarea is about 60 miles from Jerusalem. It's on the uh, seashore there, and it's where the, the Roman kings, they didn't want to set up their shop in Jerusalem. They would have someone like Pilate do that, but the big dogs would stay out by Caesarea. So they're out in Caesarea, and that's where Paul is being kept. He's been there five days, and now the chief priest and the, and the, and the, the Sanhedrin show up in court to stand before Felix. 
And they brought a, a tricky Ricky attorney with them named Tertullius. And he's come along with them. He's the talker. And he's going to be their attorney for this day in court with Felix. Now, Felix is, seems to be, he's been there six years, so he's not ignorant of, this, of the people called the way. Now, they, at this time, they didn't call them Christians. Uh, they were called Christians earlier at Antioch, but that's not what they, they would say, this people of this way. So he's very familiar. He knows this. He has some interest. He doesn't have a full understanding, but he understands that these people are very different, very unique, and now he has got one of their chief kingpins, if you will, and Paul coming into his court. Let's pick up at verse number 1. Can we please? Acts chapter 24, verse number 1. The Bible says this, And after five days, Ananias, he's another bad dude. He is a, uh, he's the chief uh, priest of that time, but he is known to be very... And he's the guy who, whenever Paul went to his courtroom, Paul said, well, he said, you got something to say? And he said, yes, I've lived in a good, clean conscience before God and man. And all he said was, I've lived in clean conscience between God and man. And Ananias, the chief priest, who when he was in his courtroom, said, hey, you're standing by him, reach up and slap him on the face. Slap him on the mouth. And a guy hauled off and hit Paul in the mouth. So this guy, is, he's not, he's not a, a, a little Sunday school choir boy. He's, he's got issues too. And he's coming into town with uh, the Sanhedrin and Tertullius, who's going to begin talking in just a moment. So they descended. That means, uh, the, of course, uh, Jerusalem was on a higher plane, uh, altitude, and so they came down to uh, Caesarea with the elders, verse number 1, and with certain orator named Tertullus, who informed the governor against Paul. So he said he's there to, to, to be the prosecutor. And when he was called for, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, seeing that by thee we enjoy great quietness. He's talking to, the, to Felix. This is just buttering up flattery. He said, by you we have great quietness. And the truth of the matter is, that was not true. And, there, and where very worthy deeds are done unto this nation by thy providence. And because you're in charge, we are a better people. That wasn't true either. We accept it always. We accept your leadership. And in all places, most noble Felix, and with all thankfulness. Notwithstanding, so he kind of brags on him, and he said, Notwithstanding that I be no further tedious in thee, that I don't waste your time any more, I pray thee that thou wouldest hear us of the clemency of a few words. Bear with me, let me share a few thoughts with you. Verse number five. Can you read it out loud with me, everyone together? For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Verse 6 says, he also hath gone about to profane the temple. So basically, Tertullus, he brags on, on, uh, on Felix and tells him how wonderful he is, and we have such great kindness, and we appreciate all you do for our country. And he said, but I don't want to waste your time. Here's what we came to do. We have found this guy, and Paul's in the same room with him. He's the defendant. He said, we found this guy to be a pestilent fellow, guilty of three things. Number one... He gave him, a, he said, this guy is a pestilent fellow and he's a ruler of sedition. That means he's doing some insurrection against the Roman Empire of Jews all over the world. What do you think, true or false? False. He was not that. 
But he said, we have found him to be a real pestilence. He's stirring it up, and he's trying to get... Uh, and that's something that would get Rome's attention if that were true. You have someone who is uh, plotting a coup, plotting an insurrection. So they, they accused him of that, and that was certain, certainly things that the Roman ruler had to give attention to. The second thing they said, he is a ringleader for a sect of Nazarenes. Do you know what that's called? He's a Christian. <laughs> He's a leader of the Christian people. Of course, they didn't want to say Christian because that would put the, the key word of Christ there. They called him the Nazarene. And Jewish people that day didn't think anything good would come out of Nazareth. Nazareth was the other side of the track. And if you remember when, Na when Nathaniel was called to be an, a, an apostle, a disciple of Jesus, and they said, you've got to come see him. He goes, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, he said, this, this, is the ruler of the, this is the ruler of Nazarene. This guy is following this Nazarene. And that was a negative connotation. And then he says that he has defiled our temple. They had accused him of taking one of the Gentile brothers that he had brought from Asia and from Greece and from Macedonia into the temple. That, were, that was not true, but that was the accusation. Well, Felix didn't care about the second group. He didn't care about the third accusation. Whatever happened in your temple, that's not important to him. But he did deal with the other one, but I think he had an understanding. He said, this guy is a bad dude. He is an insurrectionist. He has caused some problems. He is somebody who is a, who is a, who is a, he's a ruler of a sect or a, a, a certain religion, and he has defiled our temple. That's what Tertullius said to him. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 6. And we took and would have judged according to our law, but the chief captain, Lysias, and of course he's not there to defend himself, came upon us and with great violence took him away out of our hands. Those of you who are with us from week, other weeks, you know about him. Commanding his accusers to come unto thee by the examination to whom thyself mayest take knowledge of all these things whereof I, we accuse him. And the Jews also, the, all the, pe the Jewish people that were with him listening to Tertullius, gave assent, saying, these things were so. And every time he would say something, they would say, that's right, that's right, yep, yep. They were giving, a, uh, they were giving their vote to what he was saying. Actually, he was not saying the truth, but they were saying, and you can see what you're dealing with here. You're not, you're not dealing with someone who is sincere. You're dealing with someone who has an agenda, and that is to kill the Apostle Paul. They want him to be gone. They've already got a coup attempt for him, and that's why they, he came five days earlier. They still wanted to come back down to Jerusalem to kill him again. They want to make sure they, they, they attempt to kill him again, excuse me. Look, if you would, please, at the next passage of the Scripture. The Bible says, so when he finished that, then Paul, after the governor Felix had beckoned him to speak, answered, For as much as I know that thou hast many years, six years in particular, been a judge unto this nation, I do more cheerfully answer for myself. And so, after Tertullius got done and sat down, and he said, he arrest his case? Then he says, how about you, Paul? You got something to say? Come on, it's your turn. And he said, you know, I'm very glad. I'm glad I get to tell you something because this is, this is something you have done. You've many years overseen our people and this region. And so I'm very grateful that you give me a chance to talk to you and ex please explain my, my point of view. Verse number 11, can we look at it, please? The Bible says this. Because that thou mayest understand that there were yet 12 days since I went to Jerusalem, just less than two weeks have expired since he rolled into town. And I came for to worship to participate at Pentecost. 
And they neither found me in the temple disputing with any man. I wasn't arguing with anyone. Neither raising up the people, didn't get a group of people to follow me. Neither in the synagogues, nor in the city. Neither can they prove the things whereof they now accuse me. But this I confess unto thee, that after the way in which they call heresy, so worship I. The God of my fathers, believing all things which were written in the law of the prophets, in the prophets, and have hope toward God, which they themselves also allow, that there shall be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and of the unjust. Would you read verse 16 with me, everyone, together? And herein do I exercise myself. Yeah, I'm so glad the key, that Ananias was not the, uh, the judge right there. The last time he said that, he got slapped. <laughs> but he said to them again, he said, he said I, 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 here's what I've done. As he, as he gave his defense, he said, look, these guys have telling you things, they cannot prove it. Because I'd just been in town 12 days ago. I've been here five days waiting for them to come to court, 60 miles from me. He said, I showed up. I was there for less than, than seven days when they arrested me, and I was just walking around the Temple Mount when they took me. They didn't catch me saying things I shouldn't say, getting groups together, people. What they're saying, they cannot approve that. They can't prove it. He said, but I will tell you one thing they're saying that is true. I do believe the Bible. I believe the law and the prophets. You know, dear friend, what you believe matters most for your, your life. Someone said the most important thing about us is what comes to our mind when we think about God and his word. Faith is the most important thing about you. But he said, I'll tell you one thing they're telling you that's true. I do believe the Bible. And if you believe the Bible, then you want to believe the God of the Bible. You want to believe the way of salvation. And he said, I do believe that. I believe what God said in the Old Testament is absolutely true. And I do believe that there's coming a day when God is going to bring out of the graves everyone, the quick and the dead. And the word quick in your New Testament and in your King James Bible means those who are alive. You know who those are quick and the dead? He said, everybody's going to be resurrected. Brother Jeff uh, prayed just a moment ago, and he said, he said, I'm glad that we have a church where people care about where people will be 100 years from today. Everybody in this room, everybody watching online today or listening to the radio, 100 years from now, you're either going to be in heaven with God or in hell without him. Everybody in this room, you're either alive, you're quick, or you're dead. You say, Pastor, I'm alive, I'm not dead. What it means, you're dead in trespasses and sin. There's just two groups of people in the world today, people that have eternal life and people who don't. And you're going to find yourself in one of those categories. I hope everybody in here is in that first category. Say, Pastor, how can I be alive in God? He that hath the Son hath life. Yeah, when you believe on Jesus Christ, you have everlasting life. And if you've not yet accepted him, the Bible says, as far as God's concerned, you're still dead in trespasses and sin. Let me just tell you the, the ultimate plan for that. If you're in Christ, okay, you're going to spend eternity in heaven. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life in heaven. You will never have to answer for your sin because God has covered you with his son. You will have to answer for your service 
for your works, for your motives. You'll be rewarded, but you do not, you're not going to be punished in hell. You'll never spend one second in hell. But if you leave this world in your sin, the Bible says that you're dead in trespasses and sin. And everyone in this group is going to the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. You say, Pastor, how could you be so, so blunt? Well, it's because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says in death, people who have died, and hell, people that are in hell, shall be cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. And they will be judged according to their sin. Over here, you either enter, you enter exit life with your sin, and that's over here, and you'll have a fair trial with your sin, with the God who knows everything about you. Or you'll go into eternity with God's Son. Now, one of the reasons we're all here today, and one of the reasons you're listening today by way of live stream and listening by the radio is because God wants everybody to be in this group. God is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. What's repentance? It's realizing, hey, I don't believe the right thing. I have not, I got to change my mind about my sin, about God's son and his way. And I need to humble myself and accept the gift of eternal life. That's what repentance is. It's accepting, accepting that my way is not right. Some of you, you came in this room and you think, well, if I live a good life and I do as best I can and all this, I'll go to heaven. That's not true. You'll have to repent. You have to change your idea about that. Because only through faith in Jesus Christ can you have eternal life. And Paul said, and he used this opportunity with his accusers, with his unsaved judge, with the, the bailiffs in the court, with all the people making the notes to say, look, if you want to judge me about something, this is true. I believe the Bible. And I believe that God is going to come again and everyone will stand before God in one of two groups, those who are saved and those who are lost. Those who are alive and those who are dead. I do believe that. And he said, and that's why I can say I have a clean conscience before God and man. I've used my life to tell people that they can be in this group. They can have eternal life. Well, let's continue and see what he says real quickly if we can. And I need to hasten. You're doing good. Let's listen to this if we can. Verse 17, now after many years... He'd been gone many years. He came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. You remember he brought those men with him with, with giving. Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me clean or purified in the temple, walking around with a white, a white outfit, neither with multitudes or with turmoil. I wasn't in a big group, and I wasn't causing any problems. Who ought to have been here before thee and, and object if they had ought against me? He said, where are the witnesses? They, they, they're the ones who grabbed me and took me out. Where are they? Or else let these same here say if they have found evil doing in me, the ones that are here while I stood before the council. Except it be for this voice I cried or this opinion or this, this statement that I made, standing amongst them, touching the resurrection of the dead, I am called in the question to you this day. Now, verse 22, and when Felix heard these things, having more perfect knowledge of that way, he says, when Felix listened to Paul and listened to Tertullius, 
He understood that way. He was familiar already with Christianity. He deferred them or put them off and said, when uh, Lysias, the chief captain, shall come down, I will know more utmost of your matter. He put them away. And he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty that he should forbid none of his acquaintance to minister or to come unto him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, that was the young lady we talked about, that's his third wife, taken from another man, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned, this is important, as he reasoned of what? Righteousness, number two, temperance, and number three, to come, Felix did what? Trembled. And he answered, he said, go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. And he hoped also that money should be given of him Paul. He wanted a bribe, that he might loose him. Wherefore, he sent for him the oftener. He, he kept having him come and talk to him and commune with him. And after two years... Porcius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul incarcerated or bound. As you look at this passage of Scripture, and our time is up, but I want to just remind you of a couple things. And as we look at, as we look at uh, Felix, you know, Felix was a miserable soul. And here God had delivered Paul. He let him stay in that prison for two years, able to receive friends, able to get food, able to get gifts, able to, to get paper. He, I think that's when he possibly wrote some books of the Bible for two years. And God took care of his man. I think it's interesting to me several things. And that is when Paul had a chance to talk to Felix and his wife, Drusilla, when they came, he reasoned with them of three things it takes to be saved. And the Holy Spirit has to do that job. He has to remind you of the righteousness of Jesus. Number two of temperance, that has to do with dealing with sin. These two people were, were, were large and in charge. They were wicked, alcohol, immorality. They, they had no restraints, had no temperance. They had no rules on them. May I tell you, God is putting rules on you. God's putting rules on me. And, there's, it's, and sin is what we see as a result of that. He talked to them about the law of God. He talked to them about righteousness, which is in Jesus. And he talked to them about judgment to come. The sad thing is that Felix was convicted but never converted to our knowledge. He was shaking. When he got done, he said, hey, hey go ahead and go. Leave, leave. Come back. I'll get you another time. I'll talk to you another time. He was all shook up. He trembled. His knees were knocking. His hands were shaking. Conviction was felt. But he said, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you another time. You know, there's two things that oftentimes people go into the lake of fire over. One is pride. The other is procrastination. They don't want to change. They don't want to accept it. And they say, well, another time. You know what God says about that? Boast not thyself of tomorrow. For thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You know, if you're under conviction about your sin, about anything, if it's getting saved, by all means, don't leave today. Don't say, well, I'll get in my car. I'm, I may come back next week. No, no, get that settled today. But if you're in sin in any other way, you got rebellion, you got a grudge you won't let go, God's dealing with you and bringing conviction, don't say another convenient time. Deal with it right there. You know what's interesting? At what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. The moment you feel fear, that's the first time you need to trust God. 
The moment you feel conviction, that's when you need to say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm sorry. Confess it and forsake it. If you cover your sin, we're not going to prosper. And you, know, you don't know that the Spirit of God, he says this, God's Spirit will not always strive with man. You may never feel that same conviction. That's why when God deals with you today, deal with it today. In any realm of life. Let's pray together, can we?